Hi, my name's Scott Thomas, and we are back with another brand new episode of Learning As I Go. Massive thank you to everyone who supported last week's episode with Cormac, which was all about battling addiction, and I'm so proud of how far he's come. What an episode. This week, I am back with another inspirational episode with a very good friend of mine, a lifelong friend, Eden Thomas, who now is one of the co-founders of Food for Thoughts. What a story he's got. This guy overcame an illness of leukemia at the age of 19, and now he's running Food for Thoughts and changing lives every single day. So please get ready for another amazing episode of Learning As I Go. People might know you, Eden, as one of my co-founders with me at Food for Thoughts, and we're very much on a mission helping to change so many people's lives. Today, I really want to get to the sort of crux of your story, Eden, because not many people know what you've been through, what you've overcome, and what you've achieved, and it's honestly going to blow so many people's minds to hear what you've been through. But just before we get to that, Eden, let's talk about the fun part, right? Um, let's talk about our childhood. I'll let you say, tell us, Eden, how did we meet and, and how long have we been friends, Eden? We've been friends since we were, um, like you said, five years old. And the best memory I've got of you and Adam is, is it Drill Hall in Cheadle? Wow, that's even going further back than I thought. Yeah, it might have been four years old, actually. And I just remember you and Adam, curly hair, like obviously massive afros being young. And then you sort of just like, became my friends and I think the one I know we always talk about this but the one memory that always stands out is when he invited you around to my house for the first time and I didn't tell my dad and my dad was like a bit of a disciplinarian at the time but he's like great yeah all right you both came around and he cooked my favorite meal which was a chili con carne <laughs> <laughs> and I remember you guys were like you wouldn't eat it like you just wouldn't eat it and so we had to make you something different. I think it was beans on toast or something. And um, uh, I won't forget that moment because I was in trouble. Because first of all, he's like, <laughs> who are these two youths? And why don't they like my chili con carne? <laughs> you know what, Eden? That, that, that's a good point to make though, Eden, because it was a massive culture change for us. Because where was your dad from? A Jamaica. So your dad was from Jamaica. At the time, I remember as a kid that you were pretty much probably one of the only black guys in our school in Cheadle. Yes, yeah, And we never really talk about this, even as friends, but I just think it's a credit to you, Eden. You never let anything bother you and you always were really happy and, and proud and really sort of confident in your own skin. For me, I, I know I sat down with you the other day, Eden, and I asked you this because obviously we're in business together now. And I said to you, why are you positive? And it's going to lead me on to that now. And you said, obviously, it's because at the age of 19... You, you overcame your illness with leukemia, right? And no one really knows about this. We don't talk about it enough, if I'm honest, because I feel like it's so inspiring. But tell me a little bit about that and what it was like at that age to go through that. So it's tough, Scott, because I've had to build myself up for this podcast because there's certain areas I can't always access. And it's not something I talk about on a day-to-day -day basis. Not because I've got any problems talking about it. It's just quite a difficult area to access. But... So going back to when I was in my teens, I'm not, I wasn't always the most confident person, Scott, whatsoever. Like I wasn't body confident. I felt a little bit insecure. Um, I wasn't very popular with the girls when I was a teenager. And 
it was all when Adam introduced me to acting and he said, why don't you come to my college to, you know, to start acting? And I just, I don't know why I decided to do it. God, I don't know why it happened, but I did. And I got into acting and I started to find my, my passion in life and I became more confident. And then everything was going really, really, really well up until the point where I got an agent. And then I was 19 years old and I was applying to different drama schools around the world. One of the biggest drama schools in the world actually applied to called the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And then I couldn't believe it. I got in. I literally, I couldn't believe it. I remember dancing around the living room with my mum. I was actually in complete shock because I've just come from this person to this person. But then I started to feel unwell in myself. I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it. And I thought I'd had glandular fever because I used to share like cigarettes with Adam every now and then on like nights out and stuff and drink from the same drinks. And he had glandular fever at the time. So I went to the doctors. Um, they said, oh, just a viral condition. So I'm okay, fine. But I felt myself getting worse to the point where I was, having, I was waking up in the night with these severe headaches and like just night sweats and it was, I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't know what and I never thought it was going to be anything like that. So anyway, my mum came with me to the doctors and she said, listen, something's not right. I couldn't walk 50 meters without having to stop and having had this horrific pain underneath my rib cage. So they said, fine, we'll do, another, we'll do a blood test. So they did a blood test and then they rang me the next day and said, do you mind coming back in? And I was like, yeah, sure, why? And he said, oh, just some of the blood tests are a bit off. So I was like, right, okay. I was quite naive at the time, so I didn't really suspect anything. And then they did the blood test and then they rang me the next day. Now, I think my mum knew something wasn't right. And I think she had been to the doctors beforehand. And the lady rang me from the doctor, from the hospital. And she said, you need to come into hospital. And I was like, why? Like, what, what is it you're looking for? And she goes, you just need to come in because we need to do some investigations. And I was adamant, I wanted to know because I, I started to get worried at this point. And I said, what is he looking for? And she was like, leukemia. I think, you know, the chance you might have leukemia. And do you know what, bro? I can picture where I was at that time in that moment. I have never been so terrified in my entire life because I didn't know what leukemia was, but I knew it wasn't good. And do you know why I knew it wasn't good? Because buried next to my dad, there was a young girl who died of leukemia. I didn't know what to do. Like my world fell apart. I was terrified. I was anxious. My mum had to try and calm me down. Brother was in bits. Like everyone around me was falling apart as well. And at the time I was a 19 year old boy, but I was a young 19 year old boy as well. What stressed that I wasn't like very mature, I was very immature. So gone into hospital and they've sat me down and they've done tests and, you know, I went through things, Scott, that, that no young boy should ever have to go through. And anyway, they sat down and again that night, my, the family had to go home and I was in hospital and Again, terrified. I had to have like, I had to be sedated because alarms were going off and bells and other people like someone died on the ward the first night. You can imagine like the first night someone had died and I thought, is this me? You know, and all of a sudden, Scott, everything around me just became meaningless. It became meaningless. Like I was, I thought I was going to die. I was terrified. And anyway, the next day, doctor came and sat with me and said, listen, um, we're pretty sure we've got a diagnosis now and you've got something called acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And, you know, I was in bits, bro. Like, the, the one thing that got me the most, I remember just being sat there with this doctor, just like holding my hand, like, and I looked up and I looked at my big brother and he was just mm. in bits, like you wouldn't believe in bits. And my mum was in bits. And I just remember that I can picture him now. And I held the doctor's hand and she held my hand and she just said to me like, Eden, don't worry. You can be cured. You can be treated. You can survive this. And that moment right there was all I needed to hear. That was it. You, you, there's a chance you can survive. And I was just like, 
Let's go. Let's get started. So, listen, everyone obviously received nice messages and stuff, and everyone was very, everyone was very comforting around the time. But then I started chemo, and for two months, bro, I was just no one. I was alone, didn't talk to anyone, didn't want to see anyone. My mum held my hand every step of the way. And I mean every step of the way, like what, what a queen. You talk about mum, the best mums in the world, the best mum in the world right there. Because if she hadn't been with me, bro, the whole time, watching me go through that every single week and going through the chemo. Listen, people think, people hear about chemotherapy and they think, oh yeah, it sounds bad. Leukemia is one of the worst. This was my life for three and a half years, going through this every single week. Three and a half years, wow. Three and a half years of my life. And listen, I went through it. I just wanted to get on. I remember waking up one morning. This was, must have been a month in. I looked in the mirror in the hospital and I, and I looked at myself, bro. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, bro, man. And I just, I just remembered, I just looked at myself, bro. And I just see my dad in me. And I was just like, no way. I'm not, I'm not letting this happen again to our family. There's no way I'm letting this happen to our family. This is what I wanted to ask you about, Eden, because at first, when I heard about it, all I did think was about your dad and I thought, because not many people know, but you lost your dad at what age, Eden? 10, 10 years old. And that was the cancer as well, wasn't it? Mm. So, and I knew how much that shook your whole family, it rocked everyone around you. I thought the same thing when I heard about it. I thought, I can't believe this is happening to him again. And is that what went for your mind then? Yeah, you were thinking about your dad. I think that's what went for everyone's mind. It's happening again. And it's almost like I'm so much like my dad in terms of how I look and how I am. And it's like, the path was the same. And I was just like, no, this can't be happening, surely. And the craziest thing is, Eden, that it wasn't even connected, was it? There was nothing, there was no connection no. between the two cancers. What the cancer did your dad have? He had um, of the bile duct, carcioclanginoma, very rare cancer, very rare cancer. And, and it wasn't even connected it. at all, was it? No. No, no connection. It's the first thing we asked. That naturally, you're going to ask that question. What's actually going through your mind there then when you actually, you're looking in the mirror, you're thinking, right, this could be, I could have the same fate as my dad. Like, how did you find the strength in that? Because surely you've been through this before. You probably had the same sense of hope when your dad was ill, but then lost it. So how did you sort of, what was going through your mind at that point? It was at that point, Scott, there's a bit of a turning point again, where I looked at myself and because I seen my dad, it was almost like a moment of inspiration. Does that make sense? Like I just wanted to, at this, at this point I'd started treatment. I was on chemo. I was, you know, wired up left, right and center. I had tubes hanging out my chest. And everyone always said at the time, I didn't speak, Scott. I didn't speak at all. I was going through the motions. I got very upset every now and then, but I didn't speak. But I remember this one moment, and I'll never forget this moment. The mum said to me, "What, Eden, why don't you come and cook with me? Come cook a soup with me. So I was like, fine, okay. So helping to cook some soup. And then um, Adam bought me John Legend's album at the time. I was playing it. And then there's a song called Each Day Gets Better. And I just, out of nowhere, considering I'd just been locked away, didn't talk, I just started dancing started dancing in the kitchen and I see my mum just like, and she got really upset cause it's like, he's back. And that was the moment there where I was just starting to become me again. And it's almost like, when I say become me, I mean the making of me. That was the moment where I started to get a grip on things. And listen, don't get me wrong. I had moments where I was rushing to hospital at two o'clock in the morning. Doctors all stood around my bed, like because I had, you know, infections that were life-threatening. That happened two or three, four times. As time went on, it got easier and I learned to sort of cope with it. But I remember this one, like, I didn't know it was three and a half years, by the way. Three months in, I didn't know. And I remember I was driving home with my mum and I found out that it was, I was going to be like this for three and a half years. And I wasn't going to be, all, whilst all my friends were going out, socialising, meeting girls, you know, I was in hospital and chemotherapy. 
Why was it three and a half years, Eden? Is that the time period that they need to be doing that sort of particular treatment for? Yeah, that's the treatment protocol for leukemia. That's just the length of it. It's just a long wow. one. It's just, listen, it's not a nice, it's not a nice disease. But when I found that out, I just thought, well, I can't do this for three and a half years. And I remember mum had to pull over because I broke down like you wouldn't believe. Like, I can't do this for three and a half years. I did. I did do it. I completed treatment. And again, part of the reason, Scott, a lot of people, mum, only really my mum knows this really about why I'm this positive. And it's because I don't know how any other way to be. Because no matter what happens in my life, like nothing's going to be as dark as that. Nothing's going to, nothing's going to put me in that place like that did. So for me, you know, someone else might be going for a horrific time. For me, it's a good day probably. Like I just see the light in everything. And whilst it's my blessing, it can be my curse at times. You know what it can be without a shadow of a doubt. But it truly is my blessing that I've been through that three and a half years worth of treatment. It's been through hell, but it's had its positive effects. Like it's, I'm a different person because of it. My brother, who was studying law at the time, is now a doctor, the cleverest guy I know because of that whole situation. They say, don't they, Scott? Like you have to go, the dark times are the making of you. You have to go through a difficult time for you to really then grow, for you to appreciate life. And that's sort of what happened. So Eden, just for anyone who doesn't know, and I mean, I still don't even know, what does leukemia do to the body? How does it attack the body? What's it actually doing? So leukemia is cancer of the blood, essentially. Right. So it's cancer of the blood. Um, you have immature white blood cells that keep spiraling out of control to the point where you have no immune system. And it's never really the leukemia that kills you. It's an infection which is why it was such a worry every time I went to hospital. It was such a worrying time because it was like, that's how most people tend to get killed. And I've you know seen three or four people my age at the time in hospital. They didn't make it. I can't tell you, Scott, just how grateful I am to be here, just sat here now. I walk down the street, I see a tree and I'll stop for a second like, wow, isn't that tree beautiful? Because I, when I was going through treatment, nothing meant anything. All the things I loved in life, meaningless because I thought I could die. Wow. I just, I can't even imagine being in that position. When you say everything felt meaningless, what do you mean? Like in terms of like every day you woke up, you just, you felt like it could be your last day. So why give it your all? Why try? Is that what you felt like? Only when I thought I was going to die. When I thought I was going to die, nothing matters. Manchester United's one of my favourite football clubs. I didn't care because it's meaningless. You're not going to be here. At the time, Scott, I was, I was picturing my own funeral. Like a 19-year-old boy picturing her own funeral. It's just... In that situation, it puts things into perspective. It puts everything into perspective. And when you've come through that, I live my 20s just spending money left, right and centre because I wanted to live. Getting myself into debt, going travelling all around the world because I wanted to live. And that's all I wanted to do was live, breathe, experience, feel, love. That's all I wanted to do. That's it. Wow. So go on, talk me through that feeling, Aniden. So you, you get the all clear. What was that moment like? It's a difficult one. So it, all clear, you don't technically get it until five years after you finish treatment. And I finished treatment in 2010. Once I finished treatment, I wanted to go for a run. First thing I wanted to do was exercise. I went for a run, <laughs> uh, 20 meters down the road. I nearly collapsed, pretty much. <laughs> nearly collapsed, but then next day I went again, got a bit further. And then a week later, got a bit further. A year after I finished treatment, Scott, one year after I finished treatment, I ran the 10K run in 40 minutes flat. Wow. And it's just, again, all of this was just building blocks from the making of, this is my journey right here. And to do that, again, I broke down at the end of the race. Mum was waiting for me. It was just the making of me. I knew this was the comeback, basically. That makes sense. Like, this is my life now. I think there's one thing I've not really touched on is 
the one thing I fell in love with during my time when I was going through these dark moments was aviation. I used to, whenever I was having a difficult time or a difficult moment, I'd just pull myself away and I'd just drive to the airport, sit by the runway and just watch aeroplanes, just watch them. It used to soothe me. And you know, my dad was an aircraft engineer and used to take me to air shows when I was younger and stuff. So the inspiration sort of came from there. But it was that moment when I said, I want to be a pilot. This is me. So literally during that sort of treatment period, you fell in love with aviation. And then I know you set yourself a goal then to become a pilot. But for me to become a pilot, for someone like you, he didn't know disrespect to, didn't have any sort of background. I think it's the sciences, is it? You need to be involved with. And for you to have that goal, it was almost like too good to be true. It was like, it was really sort of, it felt impossible. When you used to tell us, me and Adam, no, no way of life felt like, a pilot, like, I mean, don't you have to be studying that for years? And literally, you said to him, I'm going to be a pilot. And literally, lo and behold, I don't know how many years later, it felt like a lifetime later, you are now a, an official pilot flying planes for British Airways. Like, I still can't get my head around it. What was that process like? And how does it feel to achieve such a massive goal? So when I finished leukemia, I felt unstoppable. And I felt, you know, I think the one thing that a lot of people lack in life, Scott, isn't ability, it's not intelligence, it's belief. And there's one thing I've got now, always, is belief. Like, belief, I can achieve anything. That's the only difference between me and anyone else. That's it, I believe in myself. So, British Airways- And is that, um, and sorry, Eden, is that because you overcame that illness? You not, because you, you believe that you could overcome it and you did do it, and that's probably the most life-threatening experience you can be in. That's exactly where it comes from. I, right. everything I am now, Scott, is because of going through that in my life. Like everything I am right now is because of going through that. It's given me this very unique perspective on life, which I couldn't be more grateful for. And I hope I don't offend anyone by saying this because I know not everyone's made out the other side, but part of me is almost grateful for going through that experience because it's made me the person I am today. It's made me appreciate things the way I do. It's made me love the way I do. Like I love feeling strong emotions. I love everything in life. And it's because of that. So I am grateful for going through it it's just a shame I had to go through it to appreciate everything in life. Wow. But in terms of the piloting, so yeah, so finished treatment, got told I've got to wait three years post-chemotherapy treatment to be able to even get medically fit. So I was like, right, hurdle, not a problem. I can wait three years, um, go back to college, get an A-level in maths. That should suffice, it did. But then British Airways released what they called the future pilot program. And I was like, right, this is it. This is my moment. So I was like, put my application in received an email back. I got invited to the first round of interviews. So there's around about 6,000, 5,000, 6,000 applicants every single year. Got through the first phase, got through to the second phase. Aptitude tests, written tests, interviews again. Completed it, got an email to say, congratulations, you've been, in, you've been invited through now to the final stage of the interview process. Thought, right, got this. Went through to the final stage, passed up, went through all the tests, everything. It was a tough, tough day. Woke up to the email. Unfortunately, you've been unsuccessful on this occasion. Please do apply again next year. <sighs> Sinking feeling, heartbreak, like you wouldn't believe. But right, get back on the wagon. How, I had to wait one year to apply. So I practiced a few tests, a few written tests, applied again the next year, got through to the final stage, opened up the email. Unfortunately, you've been unsuccessful. Now, you can only apply three times to British Airways before they say that's it. In the meantime, I applied to another airline, Air Lingus, got through to the final stage. Same thing happened again. It gets to the point where you're thinking, wow, like everyone around me is doubting me as well. You've considered backup options, Eden, have you? You sure this is right for you? Everyone, everyone's doubting you because they're gonna, 
keep going through to the final stage, which is like the last 100, 200 people mm. kept falling. Anyway, last time I could apply, I literally practiced tests every single day for a year. Verbal reasoning tests, numerical reasoning tests. I used to work at a car dealership in Guernsey. I was sat in the back of a car with blacked out windows, reading my book, practicing interview questions in the back every single day, like militant, what you would, like you wouldn't believe, because I didn't want to leave it to chance. I wanted to give it my all. And I got through to the final stage again. And I remember everyone else was getting emails. Congratulations, you've got in, you've got in, everyone else. I hadn't heard anything. I was just like, oh God, is this gonna happen for me? And I remember just getting the email and I opened it and I opened the PDF. And the first thing it said was, congratulations, you've been successful. I fell to my knees. I fell to my knees because it wasn't just about the fact that I'd now achieved my dream of working towards becoming a pilot. It was everything that had happened in the past seven or eight years of overcoming leukemia. It's like everything was just flashing up in my mind. And I ran to my girlfriend and I met her at work. I told her I hadn't been successful. Got there, she jumped on me and it's just like, she was happy, I was happy. And it was just like the best feeling in the world because the fact that I got rejected once, twice, three times by someone else and the fourth time. And if anyone's listening to this right now, if there's one thing I'll say to anyone, don't give up. Even when everyone's doubting you, don't give up. Resilience is the one thing that will, will get you to where you need to be. Just don't give up. I think that's such a good point to make because especially in, on any kind of journey that you're on, whether it be a weight loss journey or a business journey or anything that you're trying to achieve, you will have people who will doubt you. You'll have people who sort of will question you. And like in the same way, we doubted you a little bit, Eden, where people were saying, Eden, is this right for you? Should you be a pilot? Should you give up? And the one thing I respect about you, Eden, is your tenacity, your persistence. And I think you need that in anything. If you're trying to achieve something great, you have to believe in yourself from the bones and back yourself every single way, every single step of the way. And I wrote down that in my journal this morning. No matter what anyone says, I actually wrote down, I'm going to make Food for Thoughts a global movement. I'm going to build the social... And I was writing it down myself because you have to believe it yourself because you are going to hit failure after failure. And I think the whole pilot thing and, and your journey there is living proof of that. But I think you've had that all along, Eden. And I think that mindset and that self-belief has probably been a massive part of how you overcame that illness. And, and one thing I'm really grateful for is that now, obviously, we're in Food for Thoughts together. And I know that we're going to make this a success because, because of your mentality as well, because you keep me going on days where I doubt myself and, and I'm like, are we moving as quickly as we should be? Are, are we helping to change as many lives as we should do? And I, I always sit down with you and you always go, Scott, man, like you, you're forgetting just how good we are and what we've done. And it's so refreshing to be around you. And also your passion for every sort of aspect of this business is just, it's just, I'm really grateful, mate. And we don't really get the opportunity to say that to each other because we're always with each other every single day trying to achieve big goals. But honestly, I'm, I'm very privileged to be in business with you because you've got that positivity, that tenacity and that sort of persistence, which I know is so crucial in anything that you're doing. So I just yeah. want to say thank you for that. But let's talk about that though, Eden, as well, because another thing that you've overcome and no one really knows this as well is that Eden was always kind of kind of an overweight sort of child and also, and a teenager as well. And I remember you was always quite frumpy. You weren't like obese or anything like that, but you always struggled with your weight, right? And it wasn't until one year when literally in 2020, when I saw you at a wedding and I was like, 
you had your top off, you were walking around with your top off because you looked amazing. And I was like, what's going on here? Do you know when you have that, that moment going, what's, what's happened here? I was like, and then Eden's went, yeah, I just figured it out, mate. I just know what I'm doing now. I've got my, I'm just on top of my food. It makes a massive difference. And I was like, what? And then I left it. And then obviously when I tried to achieve my goal, you came into my life and because you learned all about calories and calorie deficit and basically learning that you could eat all the food you love and still get an amazing shape, you then made it your mission to make sure that I understood that. And then obviously I went on this journey and I don't want to go too much into the ins and outs of food thoughts because we talk about that so much. But basically through your journey, you helped me and now we're managing to help so many other people. What is in you that keeps wanting to help other people and pass that on? Because it's obviously clearly within you now. Is it because of what you've been through? I think so, yeah. I think once I finished treatment, Scott, I knew I wanted to do something where I was helping other people. I just never really had the platform to be able to do that. And that's why Food for Thoughts comes so naturally to me because, and to you as well, because it's almost like it's easy. I get a kick off empowering other people. And that's part of the reason why when I was helping you, there was no agenda other than the fact that I wanted you to get this. I wanted you to smash it. I wanted you to understand it. That's all I wanted at the time. And then when you did, that for me was almost like a tick. Like, yes, a win for me. Like, I personally sense that. There's one thing that I struggle with, Scott, with most people is them living a life less than the one they deserve. That's the thing that gets me the most. And that represents a lot of people in a relationship, in a job, within themselves. Guys, it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to go through what I've been through to realize your own happiness in life. That they shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to. And God forbid, if you do, then you will realize that. But I've been through this now and I just love seeing people do well in anything. One thing I used to think of, Scott, was helping people with careers, getting to different jobs. That used to be my thing. That never came to fruition. But now Food for Thoughts has given me that platform every single day. And you're right, Scott, it is going to be a global brand. Do you know why? Because it does good for the world. We do good for the world. And thank you for your nice comments, by the way. Like, we are the perfect partnership. Like, it's, it's as simple as that. We are the perfect partnership. Empowering other people is, what more can you ask for in life? I think what that's, I think that's a, a really good point, Eden, because... So I've been reading lots of books from like Jay Shetty and they talk about finding your sort of purpose and calling in life. And, and if your purpose isn't helping other people, then it can't be a purpose. And I think we are so fortunate that we are doing something that we love and in turn, we get to help so many other people. And I think what you mentioned before is a lot of us, we wait till we have a dark moment or something goes wrong to make a big change. And I think one thing that I'm really focused on now is not waiting for that moment to, to make a change. Every single day I want to progress. Every single day I want to work on something new and develop and we're always reading different books and trying to learn and that's one thing I get from you as well and you're always pushing yourself to, to sort of develop in so many different ways and I think it's contagious as well being around people who have that kind of passion for life and that sort of energy. I think energy is contagious and I think that's what Food Force represents. We've created a community of people who all want to work on themselves every single day, whether it be training, the food, the nutrition, reading, challenging themselves in so many different areas. And it really is contagious. And I think it starts from you, Eden, and, and then obviously our relationship. And it's really gone now through the coaches as well. So I'm really proud of that. Do you know what, Scott, though? I've just only just realised that on this, on this podcast now, and that is the fact that I've been through my own journey. You've been going through your own journey. I've passed on that to you. You've got a platform with, you know, million followers where you've now passed on that message and that's helping people. This is it. This is it. It's a domino effect. And this is how it should be. This is exactly how it should be. And 
Yeah, it's just come to me now, actually. It's quite special, that. Yeah, it's, it's almost about paying it forward, right? Like, whatever you've been through, whatever you learn, it's our duty to kind of pass that on to, to those people around us. And I feel like, especially with Food Thoughts, I mean, obviously, because of my platform and everything else, I've kind of took the limelight in that sense. But what I've been through, Eden, battling with my problem with alcohol and different things, I just don't think it comes into comparison to what you've been through and what you've overcome, especially losing your dad at that such a young age, then having leukemia yourself and then having all those knockbacks and, and now to be in a position where you are a pilot by day and also the co-founder of a, a business that's moving so quickly. It's just credit to you and your mentality. And I think I just wanted to take this podcast to, to be a celebration of you and what you've achieved and what you're doing. And I think you should be very proud, man. Very proud. Thank you. Thank you. No, honestly, Scott, I really appreciate that. I do. Um, I do. I, I hide away from my story. I do hide away from it, not because I don't want to talk about it. It's just not always an easy area to access. But at the same time, Scott, everything in life is perspective. Like that, my, that's my perspective. Your dark time and your struggle is still your struggle. Like there's no comparison. It's unique to you. And that's what's made you. That's the becoming of you. This was the becoming of me. For someone else, it might be something even more deeper or not as deep. But at the end of the day, everyone's struggles in life is what makes us who we are. And that's just a fact. You have to look at your struggles in life and go, right. And not everyone does. Not everyone does. It's not the making of everyone. Sometimes it can make them worse. But my advice to anyone would just be to bounce back. Like, look at what you've been through and ask yourself. It comes back to the same question. Are you living a life less than the one you deserve? Are you happy? And if you're not, believe me right now, you've got so much power inside you to change that for the better. You really do. Mm. It's dependent on you. You just got to believe in yourself. Simple as that. And I was actually going to ask you the question to sign off, like what would be your best piece of advice? And I think you just hit the nail on the head. It's that self-belief, that inner belief that you are capable of so much more than you think you are. And you've always got to believe that. And you've always got to be your own champion and your own sort of cheerleader. And I'm actually reading a book at the minute called The Untethered Soul. And it's, but it's about that inner voice within inside us that we, and they call it the inner roommate, where we've always got this voice on a sort of a spiral in our heads and it's, it can be quite negative all the time. But if you actually separate yourself from that and from your mind, you'll realize that you are separate to that voice and that voice is always on high alert. It's always trying to um, solve a problem and it likes to be in a sort of problem solving sort of foundation. Whereas it's really important for us to sort of take a step back and realize that that negative thought isn't us and we really are capable of so much more if we just back ourselves and our being. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the thing is, we can't rely on other people to back us. We can't. Because the truth of the matter is, most people doubt us. And they don't mean that in a negative way because no one's being negative. It's just, I've got a great saying actually, it's about parents. Parents don't want what's best for you. Parents want what's best for them for you, which is comfort, yeah. security. They don't want you to push yourself outside your comfort zone because that brings risk. But believe me, the, whatever circle you're in right now, just take a, take a step outside that circle. That's where the, tr the true opportunity is. And only then once you do that once, all of a sudden, you see. But you've got to do that. And that's the one thing, mindset, belief in here, and just do it, just go. Just change your life for the better. Yeah, for me, anyone who wants to make a change or overcome anything, it's about, first of all, making that one decision and really believing in yourself, having that inner belief that you you can achieve that. But then also making sure you surround yourself with people who have your best interest at heart and also have the knowledge and the guidance and everything else around you. And to be honest, it's very much what we're trying to create a food thoughts. We're trying to tick all those different boxes. If someone wants to make a change, it's about having a coach who's got your back. It's about having a community who support you. 
It's about the knowledge, the guidance. It's all about those different sort of elements. And I'm really proud of what we're doing. I'm really proud of what we've created together. And it's all come around by accident, right? Just from you helping me, we are now managing to help so many people. So I'm really it's grateful a, for that. It's a true love story, Scott. It's as simple as that. Like, it's not It's not like we sat down and got a whiteboard out and planned to come up with a new business. Like, it didn't. It's organic. It's natural. And you know what? In some ways, it's almost perfect. Yeah. And I want everyone to listen to this podcast to know that Food Thoughts over the next few years is going to become something very big and very special and i want to say it here live on this podcast right now because at the heart of what we do is so much goodness and so and it comes from such a good place that i know we are destined for huge things and this is going to be a global business and i'm really proud of it so Amen. on that note eden i just want to say a massive thank you bro for joining me today sharing thank your story you. being so honest and open i've learned so much from you mate and that sort of that tenacity, that positivity, that energy, that self-belief is something that I'm really going to take home from this podcast today. So thank you. No, thank you for having me, Scott. Thank you for letting me share my story. I really appreciate it. Wow. Honestly, I didn't expect that. I've never really heard that story in that sort of depth before from Eden. And it still blows my mind that he went through that. It just really does put things in perspective that when you face a life-threatening disease like that and then you overcome it, you must just realize that life is for living and that is what Eden's doing every single day. He literally grabs life by the balls and he's living his life to the fullest and now he's helping to change so many people's lives. So thank you, Eden. Thank you to everyone who keeps supporting the podcast. I'm blown away by the support and all your rates, your reviews and follows, they really do make a difference. So please keep them coming and make sure you tag me on Instagram at scott.thomas and I'll share some of your stories and your posts. It means so much. And don't forget, Manx and a Mic, my other podcast with my brothers, is also live. And I cannot wait to join you guys next week with another incredible guest for learning as I go. Until then, I will see you next week.